welcome back to the Cycling with Watts podcast. I'm your host, Jared Watts, and today we are talking about Milan San Remo. That race just wrapped up on Saturday, and then we are going to get into some very awesome tech. I met with some people yesterday who showed me this crazy new tire, and it's really cool, so we're going to get into that later on in the show. But first off, let's roll that intro music. San Remo this past Saturday was absolutely super, super enjoyable to watch. I enjoyed basically every second of it that I watched. And being over in America, I didn't get to see the entire race. The entire race is like six and a half hours long. So that is definitely a long race. But the last uh, hour and a half or so was very exciting. And then coming down to like the last 10 minutes of it, that's usually the case in most bike races. The last 10 minutes is very, very exciting and Milan San Remo did not disappoint from that aspect. And so it was won by Julian Alaphilippe and Dakunik Quickstep, who have absolutely dominated this year. Now, they are a team that is built for the Classics, so this really is the, the meat of their season, where you look at a team like Team Sky. The meat of their season is in the Grand Tours. Dakunik Quickstep has historically been built for the classics and they are still pushing pushing hard for the classics because that is what their team is built for and Julian Alaphilippe you know broke out last year had a really great season last year and is just continuing to kill it this year before I get into the race recap let's first of all look at how amazing and dominant Julian Alaphilippe has been this year. He was seventh overall in the Tour of Colombia. He was first in the points classification. He won a stage there, stage five, the Tour of Colombia. He was sixth overall in Torino Adriatico. He was first on stages two and six. He was second overall in the Volta a San Juan. He was first on stages two and three, including a time trial. He won Strada Bianchi. And now he won Milan San Remo, the first monument of the year. So Julian Alaphilippe has just absolutely been dominant this year. And it's been super impressive to see him break on to the scene and just kill it. I mean, it reminds me of Fernando Gaviria last year when it came to the sprints. It was just like, is this guy ever going to lose? Because he is absolutely dominating. So getting into the race itself, I don't think Julian Alaphilippe was their number one for the race. I think it was Elia Viviani, but coming into the last uh, 30K or whatever, Elia Viviani, at least w- what I've read, said that Julian Alaphilippe was the guy. He, he wasn't, Elia Viviani wasn't going to be the guy to win the race. And so Julian Alaphilippe was towards the, the lead of the race. At the time, Elia Viviani gave over the reins, and clearly it worked out pretty well for the Dakunik Quickstep team. They got another Classics win. So, like I said, the last 10 minutes were really, really fascinating. This is a 291-kilometer race, almost 200 miles of of racing. It's a long race and grueling. Julian Alaphilippe won with a time of 6 hours and 40 minutes and to race for that long that that is just incredible like 
That is so fascinating. Last fall, I did a 200-mile ride with one of my buddies. Now, granted, we're not traveling in a Peloton. We don't have food support. We don't have a bunch of that other stuff. So, of course, it's going to take longer. But that was so grueling, 200 miles that we did. And then to race 200 miles, that is absolutely incredible. The more and more I bike and learn about things like power meters, training with power meters, uh, getting a, a... training plan that is meant for racing just the more i respect these athletes who can race for six hours and 40 minutes and still push out some incredible numbers at the end of a race now i know that's what they're trained for it's like looking at mike trout a pro baseball player and being like that is incredible that he can hit a ball that far now he is paid for it and so are these guys but still it's incredible that a human can can do those types of things. So let's look at the top 10 in the race. We've got Julian Alaphilippe, number one, Oliver Nason of AG2R, number two, Mihail Kwiatkowski, Team Sky at three, Peter Sagan, one of my favorites from Bora. He was in fourth, Mateo Mahoric of Bahrain Merida was in fifth, Wout Van Art. Very incredible to see what he has done in the classic season. I think he is definitely poised for a win. He is a cyclocross star, and he is coming over into the road with Team Yumbo Visma. And I'm super impressed to see what he has done out on the road. I think he's kind of built for the classics, and definitely that's where he is specializing as of right now. But I'm excited to see what he can do in the next couple of classics, in the next couple of years, as he really starts to hone in on specializing in those. So he was six. You got Alejandro Valverde, the world champion of Movistar, in at seven. Vincenzo Nibali, the shark of Bahrain Merida, at eighth. Simon Clark of the Ever Classy, an amazing kit of EF Education first. And then you have the European champion, Matteo Trenton of Mitchelton Scott, who is also Italian. And with a couple kilometers left to go, Matteo Trenton looked like he could break away from the main group of guys left in that in that core group who sprinted it out at the end looked like he could break away for a win he didn't the Italian fans were going absolutely crazy and that would have been really cool to see him win that but he did not Julian Alphilippe came up with it so we're going to talk more about the the closing closing final meters here and so basically it was that 10 group of guys just kind of waiting around to see who was going to attack first. They got to break away maybe with about 10 kilometers left to go. And then from there, basically the rest of the peloton wasn't going to be able to catch them. They were kind of playing a cat and mouse game, kind of who's going to go first, who's going to go second, stuff like that. And so it gave the peloton a ray of hope on catching back up. Tom DeMoulin, I know, was getting very, very close to catching that group of guys, but he ultimately didn't. And so it came down to just who was going to do it first. And I remember watching it with a kind of they're they're building up for the sprint, you know, so they're they're in that final kilometer. And Peter Sagan was very well poised to win it. Unfortunately, Peter Sagan got out in front. He was at the front of it, and you do not want to be in the front if you are going to sprint to a victory. Now, Peter Sagan being Peter Sagan, he was very, very, very 
tactically sound, I thought, in my opinion, because he was in that front group of guys, you know, with Alaphilippe behind him, Kwiatkowski behind him, Mateo Mahorek, Trenton, people like that were behind him, and he was just kind of waiting for them to go. And then somebody made an attack, and Peter Sagan got right on that wheel, and I believe he was in third position there, but Julian Alaphilippe was poised in fourth position. And then when it came to the sprint, it wasn't like a typical bunch sprint. It was a couple hundred meters out that Julian Alaphilippe made his attack. He attacked, and he just got out ahead of everybody. It it was a long, drawn-out sprint, and he was just able to keep everybody off, even by a couple... Uh, a couple wheel lengths. It wasn't like this was, you know, photo finish. He was clearly ahead, and he just had more. He had more power than anybody could put down. And so it was really great to see Julian Alaphilippe get another victory, especially because I don't think he was the team favorite starting this race out. I mean, this this race usually comes down to some kind of sprint finish. You never know exactly what you're going to get because, you know, look in this top 10, you got Vincenzo Nibali. He's a climber. You got Walt Van Art. He's a classics guy, kind of like a Greg Van Avermaet almost. You got Peter Sagan, who is a sprinter for sure, but he's not a pure sprinter. He's not a pure sprinter. Matteo Trenton, he is definitely a sprinter. Simon Clark, not necessarily a sprinter. Mihail Kwiatkowski, uh, kind of like a Peter Sagan. He's kind of an all-arounder, like uh, Julian Alaphilippe as well. Greg Van Avermont, even though he's not in this top 10, just kind of somebody to compare it to. But just absolutely incredible to watch. Also, it was really good weather, which I know the classic seasons is like fun to see all of the the mud and the grit. But then also me living in Minnesota, it is like still snow out on the ground. So it was fun to watch a bike race that had sun shining. People were in short sleeves and uh, and bib shorts. So that was also great to watch. But it was it was a great race overall. Really happy for Julian Alaphilippe and the Tukunik Quick Step team. And let's see if they can continue their dominance in this classic seasons because they have just absolutely dominated up until this point. And having Julian Alaphilippe winning two classics already, winning the first monument, is just absolutely incredible. So congrats to them. So what else do we got on the pro cycling news? Well, Team Sky is not going to win the Tour de France this year. You heard me. I'm predicting it. Team Sky will not be winning the Tour de France this year. Now, if you haven't heard the news, Team Sky won't win because they won't be called Team Sky anymore. Team Sky, we found out, was going to lose their title sponsor, Sky, at the end of 2019. Well, that has been moved up, and they will be switching to Team Ineos on May 1st. That is Team Ineos. And we have no details right now on like what their kit is going to look like because that was the first thing that I thought of because I really like their kit for this year. But they are going to be switching team sponsors. And I, I don't know if that's going to be everything such as helmets, you know, who makes their kit, Pinarello as their bike sponsor. I don't know what that is going to look like yet. We just know that Team Ineos is going to be taking over. Now, who is team Ineos well it is owned by Jim Ratcliffe 
who is Britain's richest person. That is what all the articles are saying. And so this is a, a billionaire who is just going to be taking over a cycling team. And I don't really think, you know, the brand Ineos is definitely on there, but it's not like a huge sponsorship for that company it kind of just seems like this guy has a lot of money and wants to own a cycling team and that's totally cool because he's got the money i have some slight hesitations for that though because we've seen this not work out great in the past such as you know tinkoff <laughs> being uh not 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 the best situation and it didn't end very well or you could do team aqua blue that wasn't like a super rich guy but uh, that didn't end well either. So I, I'm a little bit hesitant to see how a billionaire fits into a cycling team, and I really hope this works out well because I'm, I'm I'm a fan of Team Sky. You know, watching Chris Froome 2014, 2015, it really got me into pro racing again, and I, I was kind of hurt and betrayed by Lance Armstrong, and then seeing Chris Froome back in 2014, 2015, and the run that he had in those couple of years, and I mean, still is having, but that, that really got me back into pro cycling, so I am excited for that, and I hope that they continue to dominate because you have Egan Bernal on there, you have Ivan Sosa, Mihail Kwiatkowski, Wild Pools. I mean, you just have so much talent there. And I didn't even mention last year's Tour de France winner, Garain Thomas. You have so much talent there, and I hope they can keep cultivating that talent and keep this streak going. Now, I want to make one quick, this is a this is a side note, this is a tangent. I want to see a cycling structure that is team-based, like soccer, like baseball, like football. I want to see a established structured team name that continues throughout the ages because I love Team Sky and I'm really sad to see them go and like if I have kids that my kids can't root for Team Sky I can't root for Team Sky 20 years down the road because there is no Team Sky you know Takuna Quickstep has been one of the longest ones in the peloton where Quickstep has been there and that's really cool you could cheer for the same team for like a decade and so I, I wish there was some way that, and, and I don't have the formula figured out, but I'd love to see a team aspect where, you know, for football, I root for the Minnesota Vikings, and my dad rooted for them, my grandpa roots for them. You know, there's just this lineage of people who have rooted for the Vikings over the past five, six decades. And I want to see that for cycling. I would love to be able to share that excitement with my kids in the future, but that's okay. Cycling is where it is, and I am not the the person to come up with how to change that, especially because usually in cycling, tradition wins over, and people don't really like change. So, Team Sky changing to Team Ineos May 1st. And that is it for Pro News. Let's get on over into tech. So in the world of tech, this is not something new. I believe I've talked about it on a past podcast, but I got to meet with some guys from the company who showed me the product. I got to feel it. I got to touch it. I got to ask them a bunch of different questions, and I was really impressed with the product. Now, don't be too scared when I say this because I had some of the exact same thoughts that you are probably going to have when I mention what this product is, but... Let me fully explain it before you have any judgments because I think it could be a really cool thing for the cycling industry if it takes off. And this product is more focused at the commuter, 
the recreational cyclist, the person who needs kind of one bike to do a lot of different things. And it's a great price point for what it is able to offer. So what am I talking about? I am talking about Retire. That is R-E-T-Y-R-E. Retire. So what is Retire? Well, it is a zippered tire. And I know that sounds scary to start with, but what it is is a base layer of a tire where you can zip on a top layer to that tire and so you could have two tires in one so basically you can have a slicker road riding tire and then zip on a studded winter tire and that's really cool for somebody who lives in minnesota like myself because right now we're in this like transition season where we still have ice on bike paths but it's nice to ride outside and then like one day the ice could be melted and then it freezes overnight and then you ride in the morning and there's still ice on the ground, but you don't want to ride studs all the time. And this is a cool opportunity to just like zip off one tire and put on another tire or zip on a, a new tire. So some of the concerns when I first saw this is I was like, well, what if I'm riding and I take a corner sharp and pff, the tire just blows right off. But after seeing this product in person and talking with a couple of people from the company, they assured me that this doesn't happen and this has not happened in their testing. They've been around for about three years. They've done a lot of testing and had a lot of different consumers and had a lot of success over in the European market. And they're just kind of coming over to the U.S. market. And really, they assured me that it's not like the zipper is holding it super in place. It is to a certain extent, but really it's the friction created between the rubber and rubber contact. So when you zip on that new tire on top of it, it really bonds well with the tire underneath of it. And that's really what gives it its like structural support. So it's got two zippers around the outside of the tire. It fits into your rim just like any other tire would. And then you just put the new tire on top, close that zipper, and boom, you go out riding. It's really quick. It's really simple. It's really fast. And right now they have kind of that hybrid tire. Then they have a gravel tire that you can zip on top, a winter tire that has studs running down the middle, a fully studded tire that has studs, uh, four rows of studs on it. And then they have more of like a trail riding tire as well. So they have some different options for a bike that could do a lot of different things. And I think that is really, really cool and convenient. I wasn't able to test it out, but from what they were telling me, I, I think it could be a really, really cool product in the future. And I think it could be really cool for e-bikes. Because if you've ever ridden an e-bike, it is really tough to change that back tire, especially if it's a rear hub motor. I mean, it just takes a long time. It takes even a professional mechanic. You know, it could take 30 minutes because you have to unhook all the unhook all the engines, all the cables, everything like that, and it's heavy. You got to take it fully out, then change the tire and then put it back in and reconnect everything. It just it's, it's time intensive. This though is a really quick way to put on a new tire on an e-bike. So for that market, I think it's a really cool I and then again in Minnesota to, to have the ability to zip on studs in one minute and go out and ride that is really 
really a great idea. Like I said, we're in this kind of transition period between do I ride studs, do I not ride studs? Because it's not as comfortable to ride studs on pavement. You just want to ride studs when there is ice on the ground. And this tire gives you that option. Now, they were not boasting performance. They were boasting convenience. And it is targeted at those commuters, at those leisure riders, at those e-bike riders who need that one bike to do everything. These aren't the people who specialize in, I have my cross bike, I have my gravel bike, I have my road bike, I have my fat bike for the winter. Not necessarily their target market. And, and for me, I am focus more on the road riding so i'm not going to boast and put a bunch of money in a commuter bike that i ride yeah you know, a couple times a week and they don't have a tire size yet for you know a 700 by 28 but if they did this would really appeal to me as the commuter bike that i use every so often and i like that aspect of it because i would want a tire on my commuter bike that hey maybe I could throw it on during a rainy day that would give me a little bit more grip but I could also ride a slick when it's really nice out because right now on my commuter bike I have a pretty hefty tire on there because I just want one tire that can do kind of handle everything but it doesn't handle one thing great and so it would be kind of cool to have that option of having a nice slick road tire but then throwing on something with a little bit more tread or something that disperses water better or even some studs during the winter because every once in a while I will ride that in the winter I don't right now because it doesn't have studs on it I don't feel like changing the tires to just ride studs once a week so I don't do that I don't ride <laughs> ride in the uh, the winter with it so that is a really cool idea there are called retire r-e-t-y-r-e definitely go check that out they'll be coming to the U.S sometime soon so definitely keep an eye out for that really really cool product now second piece of tech one of my favorite companies is rafa they launched some new shoes last week and i am oh so pumped for this because it's been a long time since they've had shoes i love rafa before they were made by giro looks like now they are making their own shoes but it still has that that aesthetic of their previous shoes and also a great price point. These shoes are somewhat affordable for a high-end shoe. So let's get into it. What do they have? They got three different colors of their classic shoes. They have an all-white shoe. They have an all-black shoe. And true to Rafa, they have a all-pink shoe. And it is a lace-up shoe. So just like the Giro Empire ACC, which I ride, and some other Giro shoes, definitely the lace-up trend is becoming more and more popular. So these Rafa shoes are lace-up with a Velcro strap down at the toe, and they have this double-wall lacing system that is supposed to give you a better fit, and the, the laces help with no hot spots. If you have hot spots with your boa dials, lace-up might be a great option. It does take a little bit longer to tie those shoes, and you don't get to do on-the-bike adjustments, but that is okay. That is something I sacrifice because I really like the lace-up look. I like the way my Giro shoes feel. And so I am super impressed with how these Rafa shoes look from the start. Now, they have a full carbon sole. The thing that is different, though, is they have a full carbon sole covered by a TPU bottom. And so the only exposed carbon is right under the ball of the foot, and I, I'm a little bit mixed on how I like the look of this, but from a practicality standpoint, this is super, 
super smart because I walk so lightly on my shoes. One, I don't want to slip, but I also don't want to just destroy that carbon look. So I walk very carefully. This though, I mean, just walk away. I mean, don't you don't really have to worry about wrecking the bottom of your shoes because you have this nice TPU bottom and I've done some reading on this and people are very impressed with the durability of this so far. People have been testing it out for like six weeks now, six to eight weeks, and they are super impressed with the durability of this bottom and the grip that it's given them. You know, they, they don't say it's a hiking shoe, but it definitely gives them a lot more grip than they had before and they don't have to worry as much about slipping. So from that standpoint, I think it's a really, really good idea when you need to go stop for coffee, stop for a beer after your ride. You just need to get off your bike to do something. I think that is really smart. But yet, these are still performance-based shoes. We saw Lachlan Morton in the Tour Down Under where he kind of unveiled these shoes. He is still wearing them, and he rides for EF Education first. So this is a pro riding these shoes. He is a climber as well, so you know that they, they're light enough to to keep up with the demands of a pro racer, pro climber. They come in at 250 grams approximately for a size 42. So it's not the lightest shoe on the market by any means, but it's not the heaviest. And I think that TPU bottom adds a little bit of heft to it, but also you get a, you know, a practicality benefit with that TPU bottom. So that's really cool. So definitely check out rafa.com for those shoes and like I said they come in at a, a decent price point they're $250 there's a lot of shoes out there that are very performance driven they're 350 450 500 I mean there's some outrageous pricing on shoes 250 for me is like a okay I could splurge on that that's not terrible I know what I'm gonna get for the shoes and I don't have to like just think, oh my gosh, I just spent so much money on a pair of shoes. 250 is not bad. It's not super cheap. I totally understand that. But for the performance that this shoe is boasting, 250 I think is a great, great price for that pair of shoes. That, to me, is something where I could point a beginner or some an, an intermediate rider, maybe who hasn't gone to Carbon sold shoes yet, and be like, hey, this is a great, great shoe, and you're not going to be blown away by the price tag because a lot of beginners too they're like I just don't want to spend that kind of money on a pair of shoes I want something that's 100 to 150 I could make the argument to bump up $100 more because you're just getting so much more with this shoe as opposed to like pointing them towards a CD shoe that is $450 there's just no no question that they're going to deny paying that much for that shoe even Giro shoes I love Giro shoes and I want to get a new pair but it's hard to be like oh I want to spend $300 on a new pair of shoes 250 it's only $50 less I understand that but there's just something about it that that price point doesn't seem too bad now they came out with a road shoe and they also came out with an explore shoe it's basically the exact same shoe just with some more TPU on the bottom almost cleat like again they look very similar to the Giro Empire shoes, both road and off-road for those. But I really like it. They have this like iridescent black color for their Explore shoe. And that is a really cool colorway. I still really like the all-white. I just think it looks so classy. And for myself, having that white shoe with a nice classy white sock, which is a nice classy kit, mm, I just love it. That That's really what... Uh, 
what gets me going, if you want to put it, <laughs> want to put it that way. So yes, Rafa has new shoes. Finally, go check those out. Go check out Retire. And that brings us to the end of the Cycling with Watts podcast. I do have an announcement to make. I will be on a radio show here in Minneapolis next Saturday. So I will include that portion in the next podcast or a link to that or something like that. But I'm super excited to be on that radio show. So definitely look out for those links. I'll be sharing all of that stuff. And I started a YouTube channel. So go check out those videos, Cycling with Watts. Just like the email address, cyclingwithwatts at Gmail, Instagram, cyclingwithwatts. Everything is cyclingwithwatts. So if you want to get more, go check me out. Instagram, YouTube, we got the podcast, of course, cyclingwithwatts.com. Shoot me an email, cyclingwithwatts at gmail.com. But yes, definitely look out for those links next week. I'll record that on Saturday. So I'll be dropping it sometime next week. And I'm excited to be on that radio show so that is it thank you so so much for listening make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss one ever have a great day get out riding